Let's take some time to ask the Lord to bless us and bless our people. We've got some people, some facing surgery, and we've got people that are battling COVID, and we've got people that are just going through rough times in their marriages and their jobs and different things that hit at different times because we do live in a a fallen world and that splashes over on us sometimes and God has a purpose for us being in all of that so that we can show Christ and show how to handle tough times and hard times and confusing times and also so that we can testify the fact that God's not the author of confusion there is in all of this stuff for 2020 it may look like it's random out of control it may make you angry frustrated whatever it may be but stop and think this has been prophesied in the latter days perilous times shall come I don't know of any more perilous time in my lifetime than what we're kind of going through and what we are facing right now we don't know what all the outcome is going to be but we know that God is in control and we know that we are closer to the return of Christ and we need to testify that God has already warned us about all of this hasn't he we're not caught off guard we're not the people of the darkness we are the people as Paul said of the light and so this all is something that is glorious to us and it gives us, I'm going to make a prediction that you are going to see that in this next year, things are going to get so chaotic and so crazy that even the lost world says, what's going on? And it's going to be easier to witness than it's ever been in your lifetime. Now, life may be harder, but the witnessing is going to be easier because there are going to be people that are going to ask you. This year, they couldn't care less Five years ago, they could care less. They're going to come to the point to where they come up to you and say, how do you make sense of everything? How do you handle it? And how do you keep it all together? And our answer is Jesus. See, think about that. And so the Lord is going to give us this opportunity so that we can bring more glory to his name and we can be the witnesses that we have always prayed about being and longed to be. And you're going to see it as it begins to get closer and closer to the return of the Lord in those perilous times. Those perilous times are for a reason, to get our attention and to give us opportunities to witness for Christ. So let's put our armor on. Let's get fed up on the Word of God. Let's let the Spirit of God fire us up and let's have eyes that can look differently at the world's situation around us because we look at it through the eyes of a sovereign king who is ruling over everything and who has a plan and for whatever reason has included us in that plan. Let's report for duty. Let's not be AWOL and let's be faithful. He supplies everything we need to be victorious in times like these let's look to him will you pray with me father as we think about these times in which we live and what people are going through we've got sick people we've got people that are 
facing situations in their life that they never anticipated and they didn't ask for and they didn't want. We've got people facing health crisis that are going to require surgery and it's scary. We've got all kinds of things. Um, I was told this morning about a church where their pastor just the other day died from complications of COVID-19. I pray for his family, and I pray for that church. We've had firefighters here locally that have died from COVID-19 and different things like that. We want to pray for them. And all of these are opportunities for us to minister, for us to share Jesus Christ, for us to be a testimony of a God who is so powerful that carries us through the turmoils and the trials of life and then gives us an eternity in heaven where we never have a thing to worry about or suffer with ever again for all eternity. And all of that is because Jesus came from heaven to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and take the wrath of God in our place, then be raised from the dead three days later as the conqueror, and then to ascend to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father until that day that he is sent back here to take us home and to rule and reign on this earth. But in the meantime, you've told us, you've warned us, and we shouldn't be discouraged by what we've been warned about, we ought to be thankful and rejoicing, first of all, that you told us about it, and secondly, that it proves that your word is true. And so we, as your soldiers, are reporting for duty. We're putting on our armor, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. We're taking up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith, and we're getting in line, and we're reporting to you, saying, What is your will, O commander? And we're asking you to put us where we need to be. Equip us with strength and power, with faith and optimism, and let us testify of the goodness and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ until that time when we die or you call us home. And may we hear you say, Well done, good, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And would you let some of that joy spill into our hearts even now as we look into your word, as we worship, and as we leave. May we leave with the joy of the Lord being our strength. And we pray all of this because we believe it to be in line with your word, which is in line with your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. And I have been thinking about uh, something with Christmas. Hard to believe that Christmas is just a couple of days ago. And uh, we are looking at all of this because um, as we think about Christmas and the coming of Jesus Christ, we talked last week about his humanity and how important it was that God became man. Well, then another word came to my mind, and it's the word Emmanuel. Now, we hear it all the time, and you can see it right there. Uh, that is Hebrew, and uh, understand that Hebrew goes the opposite way. We read from left to right. Hebrew goes the other way. That's why it's so difficult. 
And uh, you can see it spelled out. The little symbols at the bottom, those are vowel points. Uh, they weren't in the original Hebrew. They were added later on to help Gentiles like us be able to uh, figure out how to pronounce a whole bunch of consonants that are strung together. But Jesus in his day, he would have known without any of that help. They knew that language. They speak that language in Israel today. It was a dead language, and now it's back. And uh, all of that according to prophecy. And as we think about Emmanuel, even when Matthew wrote about it, he had to say, which is translated, God with us. Why did he do that? Well, because by Jesus' time, most of the people were speaking a different language. Hebrew was something only done in the temple, only in the synagogue. And they weren't always fluent in it. They weren't always real perceptive about all of that. Kind of like a lot of people are today about maybe theological terms. You could throw out a term like propitiation. And most people in most churches would not have any idea of what it is. Yet they may say it, they may sing it, they may recite it, and yet they don't really understand it. It's kind of a foreign word. Well, that's what Hebrew had become back in the days of Jesus. In the days of Jesus, the Israelis spoke Aramaic, and uh, then they also, for their business, would speak Greek. And uh, Hebrew was just something for Saturdays. It was just something for religious purposes and something that they would do, and they kind of... God, but they weren't really fluent in it. They didn't really understand it. And so Matthew feels the need to translate it. God with us. Now we're going to talk about that. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7 and look at verse 14 because it's the uh, prophecy that was written about this 700 years before Christ was born. Why are we going over that? Don't we already know it? I want you to have it in your mind that the idea of the baby that was born in Bethlehem being God with us, being Emmanuel, was not something that the early church just kind of invented and tagged onto this. This was prophesied 700 some years before. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Well, Obviously, the Lord's going to have to do this. This isn't natural or normal. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Why didn't Isaiah give us a translation? Because back when Isaiah wrote this, they understood it. They didn't speak Aramaic. They spoke Hebrew. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, same thing pretty much except it's in the past tense. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that would be Isaiah in 7.14, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, it's an amazing thing to think that God would be with us. We've rebelled against God, we've sinned against God, and yet God has come to be with us. What does all of that mean? It's not just a story for Christmas. Emmanuel is not just a Christmas term. Emmanuel is not just an infant God in a manger term. Emmanuel is 
the term that we need to think about today because God is indeed still with us. Every one of you, the moment you were saved, you were indwelt by God, God the Holy Spirit. Emmanuel is in you. Emmanuel is in your body. Your body, Paul said, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you six things to think about this morning, about what it means to have God with us. It's not a passive thing. It's not an inconsequential thing. It is a cataclysmic, life-changing thing. You cannot come into contact with God and stay the same. You cannot come in contact with Emmanuel and then just walk away like it's no big deal. It is a big, big deal. We would be talking about it more if we understood more of it. So let's think about the first thing, and that is the idea of, all of these are going to start with a C, confrontation. Emmanuel confronts sinners. You cannot have God with us and be the same, and you cannot have God with us and be ambivalent about it or apathetic about it. It is a life-changing thing. And I want you to think about, there are scriptures that are written down on the uh, screen for you. I want you to think about a question that was asked in Matthew chapter 16 in verses 13 through 17. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Emmanuel. And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist. Well, that would be wrong. Some say Elijah, likewise wrong. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Wrong again, right? And then he asked this very important question. This is the question you've got to answer for yourself. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now Simon Peter answered, he always is answering, right? Every time you find Peter mentioned in the Gospels, he's talking, but he finally gets it right. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There you find the idea of Emmanuel confronting Peter and confronting the disciples. Jesus is saying, but who do you say that I am? It's not important what other people say about him. It's what you say about him. Other people may have opinions and they are wrong. And somebody said one time, religious freedom is every man's right to go to hell in his own way. You've got to be right. And there's only one right answer. And that right answer does not come because of discovery. That right answer does not come because of intellect. That right answer comes like it did with Peter. It's got to be revealed to you. And what is that answer? Emmanuel. Who is he? He is God with us. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter got it right, and it's recorded because you need to get it right as well. What you think about Jesus is all the difference 
in eternity. And some of you have accepted a religion or you've accepted a church or you've accepted a group of of beliefs or something like that, but you've never come to the point of saying you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then submitting to Him because He is the Lord. This also happened in Acts chapter 9. The apostle Paul was a Pharisee and he was persecuting the church and he thought that what he was doing was going to honor God. And he's on his way to Damascus to uh, beat and to imprison uh, believers. And what happens on the way? The Bible says that he saw a bright light. He falls to the ground and then he asks a question. Who are you, Lord? That was in there just to be safe. I mean, obviously, this is something powerful. This is something unusual. And it's like saying, who are you, sir? And then the statement is, I am Jesus whom you persecute. You think that didn't change his life? In fact, the Lord Jesus asked the question, why are you persecuting me? Think about this. It's a confrontation. This is Jesus calling Paul to account for his sin, for his direction, for his thought, for his unbelief. Why are you doing this? And Paul becomes a Christian, trusting in the Lord, and becomes a great apostle after all of that. And I'm going to say this, everybody who ever trusts the Lord, they have a moment in time where they are confronted by the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, and they are broken, and they must repent of their sin and believe in what Jesus has done. It's not going through a class, it's not joining a church, it's not changing your life, it's not deciding to do or not do certain things. It is a meeting, a cataclysmic meeting, a life-changing meeting, a confrontation that changes your life as you come into contact with Emmanuel, God with us. And when you repent of your sins and believe in him, he comes to live in you and to indwell you forever. That's a wonderful thing. If you've never trusted Christ, if you've never repented of your sins, my prayer is that you will do it today and that you will trust in him and him alone and surrender to him as Lord. And today will be the day you meet and you come in contact with a life-changing God, Emmanuel, and that he will be your Savior, your Lord, and your God forever and ever and ever. That's just number one. Secondly, God with us, it means cleansing. You cannot stay the way you are and have God dwelling with you. God hates sin. Can I get an amen on that? God hates sin. And let me just put it personal. God hates your sin. It's not just a sin out in Hollywood. It's not just a sin out in the world. It's not just a sin of people that disgust you. It's not just a sin of terrorists who blow up RVs in Nashville or anything like that. Yes, he hates that. But understand, he hates your sin as well. In fact, he talks about the sin of pride being an abomination. Well, who has not been guilty of the sin of pride? Paul says when he talks about his life, I kept all the commandments. And then that last one about coveting, that's the one that got me. 
He couldn't handle that one. He couldn't excuse that one. And to break one point of the law is to be guilty of all of it. And so God comes to confront and he comes to cleanse us. When you look in the Bible and you read in the scriptures that uh, we have for you, we have um, the uh, Lord Jesus Christ performs a miracle. It's that miracle of catching fish when the professionals couldn't do it. And he tells them to go back out. And then it says that Peter is overwhelmed by that. Peter is just now coming in contact with the Lord. And in Luke chapter 5 verses 5 through 8, what's his result? But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's something about meeting Emmanuel that causes you not to be comfortable with your sin, any of it. There's something about being in the presence of Emmanuel. You can't excuse things. You can't pass it off because you see the holiness of God, the purity of God, and you compare it to you and you see the filthiness of your sin. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temples. We skip down to verse 5. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, the angels, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken uh, with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. There's something about coming into contact with Emmanuel that causes you to fall under conviction of your sin. You realize you are condemned. You realize that you are dirty and filthy. You realize you have broken the law of God. You realize there's nothing that awaits you except the judgment of God. And you can't do anything about it. Only God can do something about it. Have you ever experienced that? I remember going to church all of my life. I remember walking an aisle. I remember praying a prayer. I remember being baptized. But I don't remember ever being convicted of my sin until I was 22 years old. And when I was 22, something different happened. I understood the gospel and I received the gospel and I believed the gospel and it all happened because I was under conviction of my sin. I don't see very many people very convicted about sin anymore. I don't see very many people, they excuse it, they ignore it, they run after it and they act like it's no big deal. In the Bible, sin is a big deal. The soul that sins, the Bible says, shall die. 
And the Bible says that when we die in our sins, we go to a place called the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But God has better for his people. And the better for his people is he confronts them and then he is the one who cleanses them of their sin by the blood of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, doesn't God love me the way that I am? Yes, and he loves you so much he won't let you stay that way. God has a plan and God changes you and God cleanses you by the blood of the Lamb. Well, you say, well, what about Christians? Does that mean all of them are perfect? No, it doesn't mean they're perfect. But this brings us to point number three. This is the third C. When Emmanuel is in your life, he corrects you. He corrects you. And he does it out of love. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He doesn't push you over the edge of the abyss. He doesn't do anything like that at all. Everything God is doing in your life as a child of God is to correct you. There are times when you stumble. There are times when you fall. There are times when you just flat out stray. And you know something is wrong and you do it anyway. And what does the loving God, what does the loving Emmanuel do? He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He doesn't let go of you. In fact, he walks with you while you were straying. And he was the one that actually brings you back. One of my favorite stories from the time I was a little boy is the story of Jonah. And Jonah had been told to go to Nineveh and to preach to the people there. And Jonah didn't want to do it. And there were reasons why that he didn't want to do it that we won't talk about right now. But instead, he headed on a ship heading the other way. And God, Emmanuel, sent a storm. And the storm frightened even the sailors And finally, Jonah said, this is all about me. I'm running from God. And if you'll throw me overboard, you won't be in any trouble, any peril anymore. Well, they didn't want to do that. So they threw off cargo and anything they could. And finally, they threw threw Jonah, the prophet, out. And what happened? Well, there was the whale. And the whale swallowed him. And Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. And Jonah repented in the whale. You can read about that in the book of Jonah. But the amazing thing is, after all of that, and after everything that Jonah had done, the Bible says in the book of Jonah, in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. What happened? Jonah had a chance to get right. And one of the things that you will find as a child of God because of Emmanuel, you don't have a God that just points out where you're wrong. You have a God who gives you the opportunity to make it right. You have an opportunity to do what God wants you to do, what he has commanded you to do, because God is not interested in simply pointing out your wrongs and then turning his back on you. God is interested in lovingly correcting you. Read the book of Hebrews and read in the 12th chapter. He corrects, he disciplines those that he loves. He doesn't bother with the devil's children. But if you have met him... 
as we've talked about in the first two points, had your sin penalty cleansed from you, and then when you stray, this is the God who loves you and seeks you, who brings you back. This is the God who corrects you. This is the God who is putting you back into service. This is the God who has something for you to do. And in Jonah's case, he gave him a second chance to do what he wanted him to do. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever get corrected? Are you able to sin and stray and stay there? I know some people like that. They claim that they're going to heaven, but that doesn't square up with what the Bible says. And they don't seem to love God. They don't seem to want to get anything right. They just want to go to heaven when they die. Well, Jesus, Emmanuel, does more than just sell fire insurance, doesn't he? This is a God who changes our life, and this is a God who corrects the things that are wrong in our life. You've got some things you can't get a hold of. You've got some things you can't get rid of. Trust Emmanuel. He knows how to do it, and he will, and he'll do it in his time. Keep submitting it to him. Keep confessing it as sin, and Emmanuel will reach you, change you, and correct you, and put you back on the path where you need to be. He's not a passive God. Fourthly, when you meet Emmanuel, when God is with us, there's a compulsion in your life. Something compels you to do things and to go a certain way and to think certain things. And you've had some things where you say, I don't know why I did that, but boy, it was a wonderful and a glorious thing because inside of you is a compulsion to glorify God, to honor God, to obey God that's put in us in our new nature. We don't always live out of it, but it's there. And you know what you're supposed to do. And the Bible says in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, But now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you go through the waters... I will be with you, Emmanuel, right? And when you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. You're not going to drown or be overwhelmed by them. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, if I face a swollen river... And I don't have any promise. I think that I'm on my own and using my own resources. I'm not touching that river. I'm not getting close to it. I'm not going into that water. But if I were to face that with the idea of the promise of the power of the God who created that river... And I know that he wants me to cross that river. I cross the river. I'll walk through the fire because I have faith and I have a compulsion knowing that I can go through that and I can press on through whatever circumstance I'm in because God is with me. Oh, brother. Oh, sister. That changes everything. And so many today claim to know Christ. But they don't seem to have the faith that Christ can see them through tough times. The spiritual fires. The spiritual floods. 
and yet you can make it because God is with you and he is not your last resort. He is your first resource. And you are compelled for the glory of God to press on. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, I'm giving you a commission to take the gospel to every creature. How can I do that? Most of them don't want to hear it. How do I have the resources to do that? And then he tells us, And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. His presence never leaves us. He is the one that can cause us and compel us to do the impossible, to do the things we could never do upon our own. He is the one that gives us the faith to press on through the rough times because Emmanuel, God, is with us. You're not abandoned by God and left to just figure it all out. You have the God who walks with you through it. And he says, I know you. I've called you by name. I understand where you are. And I am walking with you through this difficult marriage. I'm walking with you through this addiction problem. I'm walking with you through the rebellious children problem. I'm walking with you through whatever it is that you may face, the persecution, the hostility. I know about it and I am with you in it and I give you the power to overcome it just like he did Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. There's a compulsion there. Lord, I don't know how this is going to work, but I believe you, and I love you, and I want to obey you, and I am compelled to go through the waters and to go through the fires. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So, we obey. Number five, notice here that there is The promise of completion. The Bible says that God doesn't start something in your life and then abandon it. God doesn't start something and then say, well, that was way too much. They can't do that. In fact, it says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he, Emmanuel, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Be patient. God's not finished with you yet. And he hadn't given up. And he hadn't quit. And he hadn't abandoned you. He hadn't thrown you over into the box of garage sale stuff. He hasn't put you away in an attic or in a closet where he's never going to see you again. He's never going to pull you out one day and go, Oh yeah, I forgot about this. He is the God who began the work in you. He is the God who has been working, who is working, and he will finish what he started in you, regardless of you or anyone else. This is a God who takes over. This is a God who takes charge. This is a God who says, my will in you is going to be done because I finish, I complete the work that I start. Be patient. God's not finished with you yet. Somebody say amen to that. He's going to change you. And then number six is the idea of Emmanuel brings contentment. We look around at the world around us and we see all of the things that drive them. 
We see all of the things that they are frantic to get a hold of, that they have to have. And then when they get it, it doesn't bring them any peace. It doesn't bring them any status. Nobody cares. Something better comes along after all of that. And so they are running along like a hamster on that little wheel, running and running and running and running and running and running and getting nowhere. And child of God, God has better than that for you. There's nothing wrong with having new stuff or better stuff. There's nothing wrong with moving ahead in your business or your career or your education or anything like that. But you get to do it with something the world doesn't understand. Contentment. You understand that whatever it is that you have is not the sum total of your life. Your life is not measured by the square footage of your house. Your life is not measured by the amount of money that you have in the bank. Your life is not managed by how people ooh and ah over your wardrobe. Your life is not measured by any of those things because all of those things are going to come to an end, aren't they? They really are. They really are. But for the child of God, there is available for you the peace of God that passes understanding, it doesn't make sense. And the book of Hebrews says that it comes, chapter 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Don't let that be your fuel. Don't let that be where somebody else got a new car, I better get a new car. Somebody else got a bigger house, I better have a bigger house. Somebody else has a certain type of jeans, I need a certain type of jeans. You're going to drive yourself crazy. God knows what you need. He'll provide everything that you need. But you'll find yourself frantic, anxious, always comparing with everybody else. Nothing you have is ever going to be right. It's never going to be good enough. You're not going to have any peace in your soul. And it's going to eat you alive. And oh, what a terrible model it is for your children and your grandchildren. Yet it's the American dream. Right? God says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus never comes along and says, Can't believe you're wearing those shoes. I don't want to be seen with you. Can't believe you're driving that rattle trap. I don't want to be seen with you. Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus is the one who says, keep driving the rattle trap, take good care of it, keep it clean and maintained, be thankful for it every time you get in it, and whenever you're ready for it, I've got all the resources to give you a new one. Keep being thankful for what you wear instead of griping about it. I can give you new clothes any time I want to. Take care of that house that you've got. Keep it clean for the glory of God. Be hospitable. Minister to other people in it. And if you need to double in size, I've got the resources to do that. This is the God who is with you, who knows what you really need. And so many of things that we say we need are really just wants, aren't they? And sometimes they are called a trap. 
And sometimes we get trapped because we say, this will make me happy, and all it does is make you broke. This will make me happy, and all it does is get you on the hamster wheel, and you can't enjoy anything in life because you're trying to find peace, and you're trying to find happiness in stuff that breaks, wears out, and one day is going to burn up. And God says, child of God, don't worry about all of the stuff. You've got me. You've got me. I'm the God who creates stuff. The dirt, the grass, the trees, that beautiful star that we saw the other night, the two planets. God made all of that. And God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And God is the one that when he says, when somebody else says, you need a new job making more money, God may say, nope, I've got you right where I want you. Stay right there and I can still take care of you. Whenever other people say, you need to update, you need to upgrade on all of this, God may say, nope, just stay right there. There's a purpose in it. I want you right here. There's something you're supposed to do and someone you're supposed to meet. And whenever the time comes for you to move on, you're going to get an upgrade. Oh, by the way, you're going to get an upgrade one way or another because the Bible says, in my father's house are many mansions. You're going to get the ultimate upgrade one of these days. And that's for eternity. Can you say amen to that? And so whatever you do down here, do it with joy. Do it with thankfulness. Be a good steward of it. Take the steps forward that God wants you to take. But learn the secret of contentment. Because Emmanuel says, you've got me. It's, it's all wrapped up in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you, that's Emmanuel, is faithful. He will surely do it. God is fulfilling promises to you and through you even as we speak because he's a God who does what he decrees to do and he does it by putting you where you're supposed to be around the people you are supposed to be with in the situations you're supposed to be in even in chaotic years like 2020 we are here for a reason and we testify of Christ and of the loving care of our shepherd, of our father. And we show the world that we don't have to panic and we don't have to follow after their system. We've got a God who supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. All of this and heaven too because 2,020 years ago... God sent his son to be the payment for our sin and he sent him in the form of a little baby and they were smart enough to realize it was the fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Of what shall we be afraid? God is with us forever, even at our worst. Praise his holy name and all God's people said amen father thank you that you are and always will be with us thank you that you are patient thank you that you correct us because you have cleansed us 
And that cleansing comes because you confronted us and you called us out. And now we are a part of your plan and a part of your family. Thank you, Father, that you complete what you start. And thank you, Father, that you can give us a different way to live instead of the frantic stuff that is going on in the world. And through that, we can testify of you. Let us be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.